Good morning. We will be reading from James 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Morning, everybody. Welcome to adulting. We are focused on this word that is uh, very popular, very, very popular. Actually, I was looking it up. I know you guys have heard the word adulting so much because you're so hip, but here's the thing. For those of us who don't know about this word adulting, Oxford Dictionary in 2016 chose it on its short list as one of the most popular words for the entire year. That's how popular adulting is. What is adulting? It means to do grown-up things. Well, this is why we're focused on the book of James, because what the book of James is about, how to be a spiritual adult. I just looked up a sentence for you just to have some fun. How do you use the word adult? In case when you're out and about and you just, well, I want to use the word adulting on somebody. Well, let me give you an example, okay? I'm so proud of you, finally adulting, by spending money on things you actually need. Well, there you go. Use that with your friends and family members, okay? So, James, we're going chapter by chapter. We've made it up to the end of chapter two. What is James all about? What I just said a minute ago, it's about what does a person of mature faith look like? What is a person who has a faith that has spiritually adulted, what do they actually look like? And he describes it for us. It's absolutely awesome if you're a church person. You've been in church a long time. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I've got a solid faith. I'm not, I'm not like one of the faith's Hall of Fame people, but i got a solid faith. All right. Well, here James gives us what that, I mean, we might have an idea in our mind what it looks like, but James gives us right here what it actually looks like, right? So I want to welcome all those watching online. We're thrilled that you uh, are with us today. Everybody that's here in the room, thrilled that you're here. Uh, If you're new, if you're a guest, we're a church for people who don't go to church. What in the world does that mean? I don't have time to explain. 
explain it right now, but we do something right over here called Grace in Five. And actually, today it's going to be Grace in Two because we're having a next step lunch that Brian just invited everybody to who is a guest. We go right downstairs, takes about an hour, and uh, we, tell you, we, we tell you how to take a next step with God according to the Scriptures, which is something, a question that everybody's asking. So everybody's encouraged to come to lunch today if you've never been to one. Now, James chapter 2. Everybody, this is the most theologically significant section in the entire book of James. I'll say that again. James 2, the end of chapter 2, is the most theologically significant section in all of James. Now, along with its theological significance, it is the most controversial. Why? Because of what Jeff and Chris just read to us a minute ago. Faith without works is dead. Dead faith is a faith that doesn't work. All right? Why is that a controversy? Well, if you've been hanging around the Bible for any amount of time, you realize why it's a controversy. Because Paul, who wrote much, most of the New Testament, says something like this multiple times. I'll give you one, Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Then what does he say next, everybody? Not by works. So here we have James saying, Faith without works is dead. And here we have Paul saying, who wrote most of the New Testament, that it doesn't take works. So what's the, what's the deal? Martin Luther, which many have heard about, of, we have heard about, the great reformer of the church, had major problems with the book of James. It's like, oh man, what is this? What's going on here? Well, actually, when you think about it and you dig into it and you look at the audiences that they're writing to, you realize there's not a controversy at all. They actually are complimenting each other. All right, let's talk about Paul. Why does he write much of what he does in Ephesians, Galatians, and Romans about faith without works? We're saved by grace through faith. What he says, right? Why does it? Because his audience is to a group of people who are not followers of Jesus Christ yet, or, or they have just begun their journey, and there's a group of people coming around them saying, you have to work your way into a right relationship with God. That, in other words, you can earn your way up the ladder to God which we always know brings about pride in us, okay? And he's saying, you, and so he comes and says, oh, no, 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 it's, it's a gift, it's a gift, salvation by grace. Okay, that's his audience over here. You have a total other audience over here James is writing to. James is writing to a group of people, like they knew the Bible, they've been in church a very, very, very long time, they had a tremendous amount of information, and they weren't doing, what do you think? Anything. There seems to be a human condition to where after a while, like if we matured in something, that we just gain information, but we actually don't do actions. Some people say that actually plays itself out physically, that the older you get, the more knowledge you have and the more talking that you do, but you don't do anything. doesn't happen to any of us, but some people say that happens, okay? These are the two polar opposite audiences being spoken to. And so it makes total sense why he's saying, because he's writing to a group of people who are from the church of Jerusalem, and that was the church. Like if you were a Christian, you know what I'm saying? Some of you grew up in a town like, well, that's where the real Christians go to church. That was the church of Jerusalem, okay? And now they're spread all over the place. They've been hanging around church a long time. They were filled with lots of knowledge, and they weren't doing, they weren't applying the knowledge that they so, with that being set up, we're going to talk about three things, three types of faith today. Now, I was going to talk about a faith of the head, a faith of the heart, and a faith of the hands. I was going to do that. But there's this old writer. He's actually still alive. He's 88 years old. His name is Warren Wearsby. And when he talks about this section, he talks about a faith uh, using three different other words. I used H's. He used D's. And his was much more creative and much more memorable. So, we're going with him. He talks about a dead faith, a demonic faith and a dynamic faith. Dead, demonic, dynamic. Let's go with this. He's uh, smarter than I am. All right. 
What is dead faith? Dead faith, James 2, is words only, intellect only. It's all in your head. group of people been in church a long time, just not doing it. They knew a lot. They could talk the talk, but they couldn't. Thank you very much. They could get very verbally pious with the best of them. I mean, they could just talk it up. Now, if you've been here for a few weeks, you know that what we've been saying, that James, the brother of Jesus, draws on the teachings of Jesus Christ more than any other book in the New Testament, particularly Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous sermon ever preached. And I think it's the most famous piece of literature that has ever been written about of all literatures all around the world. But don't quote me on that. I'm just going off memory, and I'm getting old, so my memory's not that good. All right, Matthew chapter 7. Words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what James is saying. Ready for this? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who, who what? Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you're evildoers. What in the world is going on here? Jesus is talking, James is talking to a group of people who are filled with a lot of head knowledge and they're not doing it. They know, they, they know information, they're just not applying the information, right? They could, ready for this? They could say it, they just couldn't show it, right? They could say their faith, they just couldn't show it. They had a lot of words, they didn't have any works. Like, if you ask them to defend their faith, oh my God, they could do an apologetic of their faith. They could defend it, they just couldn't demonstrate it. They knew all the commands of the Bible. They just lost touch with the commander of those commands, right? Say it and show it. So this is what's going on here. They had words. They didn't have works. They could defend. They couldn't demonstrate. And he's saying, come on, let's put it to work. James talks about the seed. So much of the Bible is about this seed, which is the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. It goes in our heart and produces life. If you put a seed in good soil, in the ground, you would expect what to know that it's alive? You would expect something to come out of the ground. You would expect action. You would expect to see something. This is what he's saying here. If you grabbed a hold of a 220-volt live electrical wire, would there be a reaction in you? Yes. There'd be a fantastic reaction in you, right? And this is what James is saying. You're saying you have faith, but there's no reaction. It's here, but there's nothing. Nothing's happening. And now here's where it's fascinating. Because then he moves from dead faith, right? All of this, but no reaction, to demonic faith. Demonic faith. Do you realize the demons or orthodox believers? The demons aren't atheists. The demons aren't agnostics. The demons are orthodox believers in Jesus Christ as Lord. Scripture is very clear about that. And this is what James is saying here. All right, an interchange with Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 3. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, speaking of Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. That's pretty orthodox. They've got a really good belief system. So James says, you believe there's one God. So what would, it, what would an Orthodox believer in the Bible do every day? They wake up every day. Behold all Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one Orthodox believer. They'd write up. And, and James says, okay, Orthodox. The demons are Orthodox. They're not atheists. They're not agnostic. They are believers. Matter of fact, he is saying to them, their theology 
is probably better than your theology. Their belief system is probably better, but, but even more one greater than that. You have head knowledge and there's no reaction. The demons have head knowledge and they're reacting. He says they're shuddering. There's some reaction. You're not making any reaction, but at least they're doing something. This is what he's saying about a demonic faith. Right? Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life is a dead faith. Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life is a dead faith. At least the demons are reacting. All right, so there's dead faith. There's demonic faith. Now James moves on to something called dynamic faith. What is dynamic faith? The mind understands the truth. The heart desires the truth, but the will acts on the truth. I'll say it again. The head understands the truth. The heart desires the truth, but the will acts on the truth. That is what dynamic faith is here. Head, heart, hands. That was my idea. Wiersbe had a better idea, so we're going with his, okay? Hebrews 11. You've been around church a long time, been reading the Bible for a long time. You know this. You know that Hebrews chapter 11 is called what, everybody? Who are my church people today? Church people. Say it like you mean. Anybody? In the, any church people in the room? Okay. Well, I hear you saying it, but you're not very convicted about it. Okay. Faith's Hall of Fame. Hebrews 11 is called Faith's Hall. We got the Baseball Hall of Fame. We got the Football Hall of Fame. And here we have Faith's Hall of Fame. And what is interesting about every single person that is in this Hebrews 11 thing are all people of actions. They act. They act on their faith. They're called to action. People that. You remember that uh, famous line, Princess Bride? Anybody? Fan of Princess Bride movie? Princess Bride? We are men of action. Lies don't become us. All right, that's Hebrews 11 for you right here. Okay, then he talks about Abraham and Rahab to try to help us understand this in context with a real person's life. What does it look like? How does this live out in a real person? This is Abraham and Rahab, two polar opposites, totally opposite. Abraham, top of the world. Rahab, running a house of prostitution in Jericho, right? Not so much the top of the world, right? Okay? You have somebody, Abraham, who's highly, highly, highly respected. Rahab, not so much respected. Two polar opposites. But God, here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. God had a plan for both. So you're here today. Maybe you feel like you're on top of the world. Man, you've got the world by the tail. You're just living and loving life. You feel, you feel great. You feel like Abraham. Okay? God has a plan for you. Maybe you feel like Rahab and you feel totally powerless, disrespected, you don't know what's going to happen next to you. You're scared. You're nervous. Whatever else goes with that. God has a plan for you. Maybe you're somewhere in between, which is probably where most of us are. And the message today, and the reason I will tell you I am thrilled that every single one of you is here, particularly today, because in preparing for today, weeks ago, I felt like this, this was it. God, as you read Scripture, God, not, things aren't random. We think, oh, I just woke up and thought, well, you know, it's Columbus Day weekend. I'll go to church today. The Bible actually indicates that God draws us, draws us. So I'm saying today that I think God brought you here today because God wanted to remind you that he has a plan for you. And whether you feel at the top or you feel like you're not at the top, whether you feel respected in what you do or disrespected, you're somewhere in between, God has a plan for you, and he's using these two polar opposites to let us know that if we will act upon our faith, God will do in our lives way beyond what we could ever imagine. Here's the thing. 
Abraham could have never imagined the things that God was going to do in him and through him. Rahab surely could have never imagined the things that God was going to do in her and through her. But it took an action on their part. They had to act on their faith. God was calling Abraham. This is how these are two polar opposites again. God just is beautiful what God gives us. God is calling Abraham to act on his faith. How? To end a relationship. God is calling Rahab to act on her faith. How? To, to, to begin a relationship. One, end it. One, begin it. End, begin. So you're here today. God's calling you. God has a plan for you. God has an amazing plan for you. He wants to do something in your life. He's calling you to act on your faith. Some of us today, God's calling us to end a relationship like Abraham, end a habit, end a routine, end something needs to end. Others of us, God, like Rahab, is saying, you know what? You need to start something. You need to start a new relation, new routine, new habit. Is God calling you to end something or begin something? Where are you in between? They would have never realized the amazing plans that God had for them unless they had the guts, unless they had the boldness, unless they had the courage to actually act on their faith. And then it came to pass. But it took courage to do this, right? Faith, many times, everybody, many times we describe faith in this world is, oh, they just have faith. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, they said, you know, that person, why are they doing X, Y, and Z? Well, they just, they just have faith. They just have faith. It's like faith is an imaginary rab- rabbit up here on the stage. All right? I don't see the rabbit. You don't see the rabbit. But I just believe there's a rabbit here. I just believe. That's what faith is. It's just believing in the imaginary rabbit. woo <laughs> Goofy faith people believe in the imaginary. That's not the faith you see in the Bible. The faith you see in the Bible is somebody who is willing to act regardless of the consequences, not despite the evidence. Faith is not acting in spite of evidence. Faith is acting regardless of the consequences because Abraham had to act regardless of the consequences that he feared might come to pass. Rahab, I mean, think of all the things that could have happened to her. She hid the spies coming into the promised land. Now listen, I don't want to go too far down this road, all right? But look, her culture, her city they lived in, they had all kinds of terrible, terrible, terrible practices, right? It was horrendous, the abuse and the murder and the pain that went on in her culture. I just need you to get up on I me. Mean, it was terrible. If you saw what was happening in her culture, you're like, oh my gosh, somebody stop it. Where is God? Well, here's God. God's showing up in Jericho to put an end to the terrible abuse that goes on, all right? This is what he's doing. So let's not say anything else about that. So here, here it comes in the spies. She hides the spies because they're going to deliver the land from wickedness. But if she hides them and she's found out, she and her whole family is going to die. But she believes in this righteous God. She believes in this God that doesn't believe in abuse. She believes in this God who believes there should be some order and there should be justice and there should be some right. She believes in that just like you do. But she had to have a lot of courage to act on her faith. And so she does. She does. She acts on her faith, and God does amazing things in her life. Will you act on your faith? Will you act on your faith? Think about this, everybody, for a second with Rahab, okay? Here she is. She's a prostitute. She's running a house of prostitution in Jericho. And she's been hearing, everybody's been hearing about the God of the Israelites, the God of the Israelites that delivered them from those powerful nation on the face of the earth. The God who met with them on Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments. A righteous God. A God who spoke about morals and about abuse being wrong. And now she, 
a prostitute. She's thinking, even if I make, think, think, even if I make it past and they don't find out about the spies and they don't kill me and my family and the Israelites do win the war and everything's okay, how in the, what future do I have amongst these people given my past? What kind of future will I have? Why should I act on my faith? I've got two major, major, major reasons, consequential reasons why I should not act on my faith. And yet she acts on her faith. And do you know the amazing, it's one of the most incredible stories in the entire Bible. She acts on it. Israel comes in and they clean house of all the wickedness that was going on. Terrible, terrible wickedness that was going on. And of all things, it's like a, it's like a fairy tale. She marries a prince. She marries a prince in Israel and they have a baby. And a baby has a baby and has a baby, and eventually she becomes the great, great, great grandmother of the king, King David. Amazing. And then way, 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 way on down the line, she becomes a great, great, great grandmother to an even greater king, and his name is King Jesus. Do you think that she was sitting in her home that one day trying to make a decision all by herself, lonely and scared and wondering where this is going? Do you think that maybe she was saying, do I have the courage to act on it? Could she have ever imagined that that's how it would turn out? Can you? Can you imagine what God's going to do in your life? Can you imagine the plans that God has in store for you? I mean, right now, it's just scary. Right now, it's like, oh, I don't know. If I do this, what's going to happen? What's going to unload? If she acts on her faith, everything bad's going to happen. But she acts on her faith. And you can read about her in Matthew chapter 1 because she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. How about you? Will you act on your faith? God has brought you here for a reason today because he wants to remind you he has a plan for you. But he's calling you to put your faith in action, not just head knowledge, just not heart knowledge, but actually through your hands and to do something. What is it for you? I don't know, but God has something, something for you. Jesus says in John chapter 13, wonderful words, a new command I give you. Well, when Jesus says that, that grabs our attention, everybody. What? A new command? Excuse me? A new command. Like, Sit up and take notice. Jesus is getting ready to tell us something. Very, very important. He says, I give you a new command. What is the new command? We can't wait to hear the new command. What possibly could it be? Yes, love one another. Is that it? Hey, surely you have something more than that. No, Jesus says this is it. Here's the new command. I want you to love. What does it mean? What does it mean to love somebody in Scripture? What does it mean? It means to put your faith in action. It means to actually go out and to show mercy and grace and compassion. It means to do something with your faith. This is what Jesus is saying. I need you to act upon your faith. In your life and all the lives around you, I need you to act. I need you to do so. Love one another. As I have loved you. Okay. Well, there he goes. He's telling us. So we need to go around doing what Jesus did. This is the new command, to do what Jesus did. All right. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone's going to know that you are my disciples. Love one another. Here's something, everybody, I want you just to think about. If we could stop arguing about what Jesus said and instead just do what Jesus did, we might be able to change the world. If we could stop arguing. So Jesus says here, how will they know you? They will know you by your belief statement on your website. That's how they'll know. Now, look, uh, I think our beliefs are tremendously important, so please don't misunderstand me. 
Many people stop me who are all churchgoers. And when they come to Grace for the first time or they send me an email, it's usually always the same question. Can you tell me what your beliefs are or can you show me your belief? Can you give me a document of your belief? Tremendously important. Don't feel bad. Some of you in this room have asked me for that. It's great. I would do the same thing too. But what Jesus is saying is somehow along the line, like the book of James, where we all of a sudden thought, oh, here's what it means to be a Christian. It's a bunch of beliefs. Jesus is saying, yes, it's beliefs, but it's a bunch of behaviors. So on your website, your behavior statement is as important as your belief statement. He's saying that we need to focus on our behaviors as much as we focus on our beliefs. And something happens as we become spiritually adulting, so to speak, Christians, is we just start focusing on our beliefs. You got that right? You got that right? And then we don't like it right. We split churches and we start churches all over the place because the little nuances between belief, because we got to get the belief right. And Jesus is saying, wrong. Focus on your behaviors. If we stop arguing about our belief statements all the time or what Jesus said and start focusing on what he did, we could change the world. It's an amazing thing. If we do, we just sang it this morning, if we do what Jesus, what Jesus did. Now, how, he says it in John 13, how are they going to know? By this, everyone will know you're my disciples. How are they going to know? How's somebody going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? By your beliefs, then, hey, are you a disciple? Well, tell me your beliefs. Are you dichotomous? Are you trichotomous? Right? What do you think about the end times? Huh? And virgin birth and, and all this, okay? All very important. We could talk all day about that. Okay? Very, very important. How will they know? Jesus is asking the question. How will they know that you're my disciples? What does he say? By this, what? Doing your behaviors. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. He gives us an amazing way to make a difference in the world. It's absolutely awesome. Beliefs and behaviors, according to Jesus, and James are everything. I'm encouraging you today to act on your faith. So I've got some uh, friends up here with me who are going to help me make this point, right? This is a duck, right? If it walks like a duck, and it talks like a duck, it's a duck, right? Do you actually know? I, I, I Googled this this past week, right? And Google knows everything. And this thing here is actually called a duck test. If it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, then it's, it's a duck. It's an abductive reasoning process. And here, I'm going to quote you right off wiki. Ready? Just so you know this is accurate. Here. The duck test implies that a person can identify an unknown subject by observing that subject's habitual characteristics. It's exactly what Jesus Christ said. Acting on your faith. Will you act out your faith? You're a Christian, act like a Christian. What does that mean? It means you do what Jesus, you do what Jesus did. So I'd like to try with a little duck trivia, if I can, about walking out our faith. Can we do a little duck trivia here this morning? I'm not going to really, you know, the duck trivia is because we're going to talk about walking like a duck. I would like to read a line or two from a song and you guys yell out the artist who did. Is that okay? And if you get it right, I'm going to throw you a duck. Now, I can't hear you in the upper sections. Okay? I'm old. Hearing's not as good. Of course, there's a lot of noise down here too. So we have ushers in each one of the upper deck sections. So if you get, if you get the artist's name right, 
And this is what we found in the first service. Uh, could you give us a little wave of the hand? Because if we just say, you know, whatever name of the artist, it's hard for us, it's hard for us to identify. Just, just a little wave of the hand. All right, you ready for some fun? All right, well, you're not ready, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay. All right, ready? Walking on the moon. Walking on the moon. Walking on the it's called The Police. Who did it? Thank you very much. That's excellent. Good for you. All right. Ready for the next one? We're, going, we're choosing all kinds of generations. All right. Just walk. Just walk. No one got it in the first service, but you guys are much younger, hipper crowd. Just walk. Young female singer. Just walk. Just walk. Miley Cyrus. Okay. Jesus walks. Jesus walks. Kanye. Yeah, I saw the hand over there. Sorry. Toss it to the man over there. Anybody over here? Over here? Over here? Okay. All right, brother. I see it. All right. Walk like an Egyptian. Uh-huh. Okay. Ah, uh, yes. Loud and proud over there. Anybody get it in here in the middle section? Nobody's, nobody in the middle. Okay. Thank you. You did. Good for you. Good for you. Okay. Walk this way. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're giving away our age here this morning. Anybody over here? Mitch Aerosmith. Okay, thank you very much. Good for you. Very, anybody over here? No? No, no? no Aerosmith fans over there. All right. All right, this is going to be a tough one. Only one person in the entire room got at the first service. Gangsta walk. Gangsta walk. Gangsta walk. One person, first service, got it. Nobody? Snoop Dogg. Nobody's a Snoop Dogg fan. Okay. All right. All right, listen up. If you're over the age of 40, walk on by. Walk on by. Somebody said it. You were a little scared to say it. Came out kind of weak. Dion work. Anybody? Okay, there you go. Thank you very much. Walk on by. Anybody over there? No. Okay. All right. Uh, walk the line. I was shocked with this in the first service too. Everybody got it. Who got this? Who, who said this? Okay. Anybody else? Anybody over there? Okay. Okay. Very nice. Sorry. Hand it to her. Anybody over here? Okay. Oh, you did. Okay. Oh, I see that hand, Mark. Good for you. There you go. Bad catch, though. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you lines. Okay. This is the last one. Uh, I'm going to give you two lines. Okay. Two different songs. Same artist. Okay. Walk to the water. And walk on. Now, in this first service, when I said walk to the water, somebody said yelled out Jesus. That was a right call. Okay. Walk to the water and walk on. Who did it? You too. Very popular. That's your second duck, man. He is just cleaning. Clean it. Anybody else? I got a number. Come on. Anybody else said you too? No. Whoa. Are you mean to tell me our 11 o'clock service that's younger and hipper knows less music than the early service? This is embarrassing. This is embarrassing. Who wants a duck? Who just wants a duck to remind them to walk like a duck? Thank you very much. Okay. And your friend there too. Walk like a duck. Watch your heads up. Okay. All right. Anybody else needs a duck? Needs a duck. Thank you very much. Put this on your desk. Put it on your desk and you know, it'll be a reminder. This week, I'm out of ducks. I'm sorry. Oh, wait a minute. I have reinforcements. Ah, okay. Want you to put it out somewhere, somewhere, you know. Okay. You can see it. Put it on your desk. Put it on your, in the bathroom somewhere. I'm coming. Remind yourself that this week, I'm going to walk and talk like a duck. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to put my faith in action. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But God's calling you to do something. Oh, everybody wants to duck. You guys are great. Do you all have a bathtub or a hot tub somewhere that you go put this stuff in? It's fantastic, huh? Okay, it's coming. It's coming. Let me just let me just get all these out of here. Okay, all right. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Jerry? Huh? There you go. Okay. Uh-huh. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, okay. Thank you. I have... That's it. I have no more duck. Okay. 
All right, let's get serious for just a moment. Here's the thing. I wanted to give the ducks, our ushers will have, I think they'll have a few more ducks unless they just like threw them out like crazy as you walk out. And it's just a reminder. Look, God brought you here today for a reason. There's a reason you're here. I'm totally convinced of that. I'm convinced of that because of the scriptures. I'm convinced of that because of the way God works in the world. That God brought you here today for a reason because God has a plan for you. God has a marvelous plan. Some of you are really scared. Some of you are really scared to do what God's calling you to do. You're afraid of the consequences like Abraham and Rahab. But you need to act on your faith. You need to act on it for yourself personally, okay? All right, in addition to that, how are we going to change the world? We're going to change the world, not just because of our beliefs, everybody. And if you are an adulted Christian, you've been around church a long time. Listen, we have never historically changed the world by our beliefs. We have changed the world historically. This is factual by our beliefs and our behaviors. Working together is exactly what James says. Let's put our faith in action. Let's walk the walk. Let's talk the talk both. And let's act on our faith and see what God might do. Now, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never grabbed a hold of that 220-volt live wire and felt that spiritually move in your life, I want to encourage you. Consider doing that this morning as I pray. Just say, Jesus, I'm ready. Go ahead and plant your living seed of truth. Go ahead and plant your life inside of me and transform me. Set me on fire with your life. I just want to encourage you to pray that, okay? Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody here. Lord, I'm just thoroughly convinced that every single person that's here today, you have brought for a reason. Because God, you have something for all of us to do. You have a plan. And for many of us, God, today, we're just a little bit nervous about acting on where we feel you prompting us. For some of us, it's to stop something. For some of us, it's to start something, a a relationship, a routine, a habit, something, God. Lord, give us the courage to act on our faith like Abraham and Rahab, God, believing that you will take care of all the consequences, God, believing that you have a great and mighty plan for us, that, Lord, your plans are good. Help us to trust in you and to be people of action. And for the persons here this morning that right now for the first time are professing you as Lord and Savior of their lives, God, may you fill them with your life everlasting in a magnificent way. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done and for your amazing word. In Christ's holy name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Remember, walk like a duck. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.